The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning as we come now together to God's Word, uh, let's ask Him to bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching of His Word, but to bless His church, that our witness in the world would be powerful, that our brothers and sisters who gather, it was easy to get here today. Comparatively speaking, some of you may have had a bit of a challenge, but in comparison to some of our brothers and sisters around the world, it is easy for us to gather. And let's pray for them, for their strength, for their resolve, and for their witness, uh, as even their gathering on Sunday morning makes a statement to the world and culture around them. Let's come to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. That is a good word spoken to us by our King and our Father, that you speak to us peace, shalom. You invite us into your kingdom. You give us your word, which teaches us how to understand the world around us, how to understand ourselves, how to understand our relationship to you, most importantly. So God, we ask now that you would reveal our hearts today and teach us, that you would show us your word and guide and direct us. And as a church, that we would be a strong witness in the world, that we would be a witness here in the low country, that many would come to know Christ through the faithful proclamation of your word in living rooms and around tables, in neighborhoods, in businesses, in our church, and through the influence of your people sent out and equipped and empowered by your Spirit. For our brothers and sisters around the world who gather today, we pray for those who would speak your word from the pulpits, who proclaim the truth of the gospel in in a country and in a land that doesn't believe that, in a world that doesn't believe that. We pray for their protection and we pray for their witness. And we ask that we would be with them in spirit and with them in witness as we, we do those same things here. So, Father, now come by your spirit and bless us and teach us through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus has been teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount these months together. And we have been spending now some time in his teaching on prayer for the disciples came to him and said, Lord, we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to speak uh, to our creator. And Jesus came and he approached them and taught them this prayer given to us in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. May may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of it. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern for prayer, yes, but it is a pattern also for our lives. For there is a relationship between your life and lifestyle and your prayer life. That if you are living, as it were, in an inverse order of this prayer, saying our daily bread, that we need our needs met first, then your prayer life is going to be the same way. If the kingdom is really all about you and you're the center of it and you live in your autonomous state and every now and then you need help and I need help, then our prayer life is going to reflect that. We'll pray uh, beginning with our needs first. But Jesus is teaching a prayer diagram, as it were, a, a, a paradigm for prayer that is also a paradigm for our life. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The first and primary purpose of man, mankind, men and women, is to glorify their creator, to bring honor and glory to him, to have his name above all names, his cause above our personal causes. So if we live that way, our prayer life would reflect that, and if we pray that, our life is probably that way as well. And so Jesus is teaching uh, this incredible prayer that has a grander plan, as it were, uh, mixed in. And it's a very logical prayer as well. Jesus comes to them and he says, the basis of your relationship with your creator is now his fatherhood, that it has been secured for you through Jesus Christ, your elder brother, he who became man He who then became a servant, dying on the cross so that we would be justified, forgiven of all of our unrighteousness, given his righteousness, adopted as sons and daughters of the king, we now can say, Abba, Father. We now can enter in and say, Our Heavenly Father, uh, that it transforms our relationship in that way. But Jesus logically understood that we get way too comfortable and way too familiar too quickly. And he said, yes, he is your father. Uh, Yes, there is an intimacy. Yes, there is access, but he is still God. And his name is to be hallowed. His name is to be set apart. We are to enter in with confidence, yes, but we are still entering in to the very presence of the Lord of the universe who was and is and is to come, who had no beginning and no end, who even uh, the created beings fly around Him and cover their eyes and their feet, and all they can say in His presence is, Worthy art you, O God. And so Jesus moves logically along the path. And that first petition, hallowed be your name. But then the question comes reasonably, why isn't his name hallowed in all the world? If he is who he says that he is, and he is, and his name is to be hallowed, how come there are so many in the world who don't hallow his name? And he teaches it's because they're a part of a different kingdom. They don't recognize him as king. 
They don't hallow his name. They don't give it the gravitas and the respect and the worth and the duty uh, that it demands. And so he moves us now into this second petition. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And so this morning we're going to look briefly at how this petition influences our lives and our prayers. And so the first thing we're going to look at are the characteristics of his kingdom. A brief overview, just a a pass-through, as it were, a primer on his kingdom and the teaching, especially in the New Testament, of Christ's kingdom. And then looking at how those dynamics affect our prayer life, how they are to affect our prayer life and our life in general. The study of the Lord's Prayer has been incredibly enriching to me. And I would listen and read. And one of the men who has greatly influenced me for many, many years in my life is Reverend Eric Alexander, a Scottish pastor at the Tron Church, or now retired in Glasgow. And in listening to him, the broad outline this morning uh, comes from uh, his thoughts uh, as we come to this same word together. And so the first thing we're going to look at are the characteristics of the Lord's kingdom. It's important to understand the New Testament teaching on kingdom. It is true that God has been king forever. The Old Testament says in Psalm 97, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. He has always reigned. But when Jesus entered into time and space, when the second person of the Trinity took on human form, came into the world, penetrated into human history, it was an establishment, as it were, of his kingdom in the world. It was God coming and saying, now my kingdom is going to be realized in limited form in the world for a season until you return again. And when Christ was born, the angels prophesied this way, and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end And Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, after he had been tempted by the king of the other uh, kingdom, uh, by the ruler Satan of the other kingdom, who took him out and tried to woo him into his kingdom, and Jesus rebutted him, it says directly following that, that Jesus said he preached about his kingdom. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And throughout his earthly ministry, It was reported that he went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That it was at the very center of Jesus' ministry was this kingdom. And everything he did in the proclamation of the good news of the king and of the signs and wonders that, that came with him of saying, this kingdom comes in, and in the presence of this king, and in this kingdom, leprosy flees. Lame legs begin to walk. Those who can't speak, speak. Blind people hear, and dead people rise from the dead. That's how you know that I'm the true king, because in my presence, the fall is removed, and all the effects are taken away. And that's why he came with signs and wonders of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and the apostles taught that Christ's kingdom, it says that he, was, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Understanding the kingdom is very important. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of debate uh, of exactly what the kingdom means. And so this morning, we're going to look at at least three things that the New Testament is teaching us about the kingdom. It's saying first, by way of an aside, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. When you read those in the New Testament, those are synonymous. And the first thing that we see is the kingdom of God uh, is God's rule and reign. It is not a physical location. It is not a place. If you were to go to Webster's Dictionary, look up kingdom, you would see it said that it is a place, a people, and then a reign, a rule. That is exactly the inverse of the biblical teaching on it. The, the upside-down kingdom, as it were, says that it is primarily a reign and a rule, that it is rarely, if ever, describing a people, and it almost never describes a place, a kingdom, uh, with, with borders and with uh, demarcations from other kingdoms. The biblical understanding is understanding that it is God's rule and it is His reign primarily. The second thing that we learn uh, about the kingdom in the New Testament is that Christ's kingdom, very similar to the first, is spiritual, not physical. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Throughout the New Testament, when Jesus was preaching, when Jesus was teaching, when he was doing miracles and doing this, the people wanted him to reestablish a physical kingdom. That he, after doing, after doing the feeding of the 5,000 and the miraculous feeding there in Mark's account, it says that as he was leaping, the people tried to take him by force to make him the king. In Acts chapter 1, when the disciples were with him after uh, the resurrection, before he was ascended, they said, is it now time for you to establish your kingdom, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, it's not a physical kingdom. It's not about this place. Jesus taught that his kingdom was a mystery to the world. It was undiscernible, as it were, to the world around him. And that he came with a spiritual kingdom. One day it will be physical, but now it is spiritual. It is not of this world. A quick aside, that should help you understand why your non-believing friends and family members don't get you. They don't understand your morals. They don't understand uh, your citizenship. They don't understand that you listen to a different sovereign. They don't understand any of those things. We try to make the kingdom politics or a nation. In our church, just quickly, you're not going to see an American flag. And the reason you're not going to see an American flag is out of integrity for our country. It says that every other flag has to be lower than the American flag. The Christian flag will never be lower than any nation state's flag because it's not about a state and it's not about a nation. It is always about his kingdom, which is spiritual in its nature. And so we realize it's his reign and his rule. It is spiritual, not physical. And the last thing we learn is that it is both a present experience and a future reality. That his kingdom can be experienced presently, but it has a future reality with it as well. Scholars would call that the already and the not yet. 
the age of tension where Christ entered into the world, established his kingdom. When we enter into his kingdom, that presently we can enter into his kingdom to be born again, that we can come in and be citizens of the kingdom and begin to flourish and benefit from all of the kingdom benefits. That we have peace with God, most importantly. Really, I should say that backwards. God has made peace with us. God has made peace with us. And he's saying within that now you can have peace in your own life. You can have peace with one another. You can have peace in society. You can have these things which are benefits of his kingdom. Presently, you can have these things. You can experience the fruit of the spirit, uh, the fruit of the kingdom life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things we have in part now. But we know that there is a future as well. That we don't have all of these things fully yet. That this future expectation about kingdom, it it speaks of the age to come. It speaks of the end of the age. It speaks of the consummation. It, It speaks of when Christ returns and makes everything new and right. When the king comes, he will set up his kingdom in all its fullness. Revelation 11, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we currently live within this tension. And for some of you, you feel it every day, don't you? that you're living it out and you're experiencing some of that glory that's there, uh, but we are still here. And we are looking forward to the day when the kingdoms of this world will be given to Him and He will then reign and rule in all of its fullness. So how does the New Testament teaching about the kingdom of heaven, your kingdom come? How does it influence the manner in which we pray and thereby, as we said earlier, the manner in which we live? Remember, this isn't just a pattern of prayer. It is a pattern of life for us. And so we'll look at three things uh, within the dynamics of now prayer and life for the believer who prays your kingdom come. There is an internal influence. There is an external influence. And there is an eternal influence. That this teaching of kingdom, when we pray the prayer, your kingdom come. There's something internal, there's something external, and there's something eternal uh, that we are taking into account. First, the internal. This prayer, your kingdom come, is incredibly personal. It is us saying, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come in me first. It, It is saying, And making sure that we are in the kingdom. That you're a citizen of the kingdom. Are you in his kingdom? This is intimate and it is eternally important to settle. Your kingdom come. Christ teaches on how then to enter into his kingdom. Think about when he was talking to Nicodemus on the rooftop. And Nicodemus said, how is it that one uh, can come and be a part of the kingdom? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And later he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that entrance into his kingdom 
It is through the giving of a new heart. It is through the rebirth. It is through the new birth. It is through being born again of confessing and taking our allegiance away from the kingdom that we're currently in. By the way, there are only two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And there are only two rulers. There is Christ who is the ultimate and supreme ruler. And there is Satan who rules in this world. And so our citizenship, your citizenship is in one or the other. Uh, There are no non-proliferation treaties. Uh, There are no NAFTAs. There are no, hey, we're going to do a little commerce together. We're going to hang out together. No, it is two separate kingdoms which are in conflict. And the only way to enter from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's glorious light is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father and into his kingdom except through me. So here's the question. Have you entered into his kingdom? When you pray, your kingdom come. But more importantly, maybe, or differently, has his kingdom entered into you? Has the king taken up residence in your life? Has this king come and said to us, I rule, and we say yes, and we bend the knee. But this prayer your kingdom come, is not simply an entrance point into the kingdom. It is also a continuing influence within our life that the kingdom and the king's reign and rule will grow in our lives and bring into submission every area of our lives. We are saying, Lord, come in your kingdom rule, in your kingdom reign, in your kingdom influence, reign and rule in all my faculties, reign and rule in every sphere of influence from which I find myself, reign and rule in my life. Take just a moment, it shouldn't take you long, is there an area within your life that currently isn't under the reign and rule of Jesus? Anybody? This prayer, as you start to pray it and consider it, It starts moving from what the old joke is, the preacher you move from preaching into meddling. It starts to meddle around. And when you pray it, and you consider it for a moment, like I was yesterday driving back from Greenville, South Carolina, in an SUV pulling a trailer on I-26 and I-95, I realized that there's some areas of my life that are currently resistant to the reign and the rule of Jesus. I was speaking kingdom language to a lot of people who were driving down the road who thought that somehow the car in front of me would vanish if they rolled up to my right, whipped in in front of me, and hit their brakes. And I've got a trailer. And I let them know that I wasn't pleased with them. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. Your kingdom come. Oh Lord, would you bring my reactions to people under the reign and rule of your kingdom? Would you bring my emotions under the reign and rule of your influence? Oh, Father, would you bring even my speed limit under the reign and rule of your kingdom? Some of you are going, hey, hey. <laughs> that one's fine over there in an autonomous state. No, your kingdom come. Says, Father, would you extend your kingdom rule into my life? into my studies as a student, into my dating as a single 
person into my marriage, into my parenting, in my response to my parents, into my workplace, into how I play uh, golf, into how I work out, into how I do business, into how I do everything that I do. Would you rule and reign your kingdom come? And when you pray that prayer, there may be and most likely will be areas of arrest. Where the king says, I brought an area to mind. What are you now going to do about it? Are you going to bend the knee or continue to try to reign on your own in that place? We are laying our hearts open and our lives open to him. So there's an internal influence in our prayers and in our lives. There's an external influence in our prayers and in our lives. When we pray, your kingdom come, it is incredibly missional in nature. It is saying, King, would your kingdom expand within the world and would you do the work through me and through your church to see more and more people transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious Son's light and life? Father, would your church be effective in the world? Would you do the work of seeing people come to faith to respond to the good news of the gospel? And would you use me would I be a herald of this truth? Your kingdom come. We want to see the effects of the kingdom so much in our lives that the people around us recognize that we have a different citizenship. Do you recognize what a blessing it is to your non-believing neighbor that you're their neighbor? I'm not joking. How blessed. That the God of the universe would drop two of his children or one of his children or ten of his children right next door to the kingdom of darkness so that the way that you live your lives and influence your neighbors brings them into his glorious light. Or maybe we need to step back into that first point. Father, would you bring my relationship with my neighbors under your reign and rule? That we influence the world for Jesus Christ. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When we have a flourishing shalom within our lives, the areas in which we live and move and have our being, as it were, in this life, they are influenced positively for the King. And that people see that in our lives. That the Lord comes and works through us. And some of you are going, oh, okay, so here's what we need to do. We've got to have a plan to go reach our neighbors for Jesus Christ. And we've said about our church, we want to be a church that if we close our doors, uh, that we would be missed in our community. And I think we would be missed within our community. We've got men and women who go out on Mondays and Tuesdays. We've got other people who do all kinds of great things in the schools and around. Uh, you are influencing in your places of work and in your places of working out and all of your recreation and schools. And all of those things are good. But that's the easy part. Here's where we fail in this second point. We forget to ask God to do His work. Because folks, not one of us can change a dead heart and make it alive. We have to pray that the Lord of the harvest would change those hearts. Father, your kingdom come. My loved one who I'm praying for, your kingdom come. King, would you invade and break down their walls in this life and in this place. King, come. We don't pray enough. We don't ask the Lord to do his work. 
We go out in our own strength and we wonder why these things aren't happening. And the reason is Jesus looks back and goes, because you forgot to invite me. You can pound all you want on the walls of that castle, but they will not crumble down until I blow the trumpet. It wasn't Joshua. It was the Lord's trumpet that sounded, and the walls of Jericho crashed down, and we're like little people in a Monty Python movie going, eh. and we bank some of you going, what? And we can't seem to breach, and it's because we haven't asked the sovereign to come in and to do his work. We have to ask God to do his work. And then the final influence is eternal. When we pray, there is an internal, it affects us. There is an external, it affects the world around us. We want to see the influence of the kingdom in the world around us. But there is an eternal effect as well. When you pray your kingdom come, we are joining with the saints of all the ages who have prayed this one word, Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Lord, the deepest longing of the heart of a citizen of the kingdom is for the king to come home. It's for the king to come in and then there will be no more tears. There will be no more saying goodbyes. No more funerals. No more anything. The king will have come back. Because currently on the stage of humanity, the king isn't even off on the right. He's not noticed But when we pray, your kingdom come and Christ returns, he takes up center stage and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And some of us don't want to pray that prayer. Maybe we feel guilty. If he comes, then what about the non-believer? Or I really would like to be married or I'm married and I'd really like to have kids or I finally got rid of kids and I'd like to enjoy a little empty nest and, uh, and one day some grandkids and, and I'd like to go on that cruise and I'd like to do this if we think that there is anything in this world which surpasses the greatness of the king's return. We have missed the boat altogether. The best thing for history, and the best thing for humanity is for the king to come back. So friends, part of our prayer, your kingdom come, is praying that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It is not a vague hope, but it is something that will happen when Christ comes in to his kingdom again. And until then, this kingdom is intermingled and it's mixed. That's why the parables of Jesus now make more sense understanding the kingdom. That the wheat and the tares, they grow up together. Some people want to rip the tares out. And Jesus said, no, not yet. They'll grow together. The bad fish and the good fish, they're going to be in the net together. The wise and foolish virgins, they're going to be at the banquet together. The sheep and the goats, they're going to graze together until the king comes. And when the king comes, what he does is he divides. Because when the king comes, my friends, it is too late to enter his kingdom. Whether you come back next week or not, whether you think this is a good church or not a good church, I want you to hear this. You have now to decide. For when the king returns, 
His job is to identify those who are in his kingdom and those who are not. And those who are not, he says, he casts away. So while there is still breath and while there is still life and while there is still day, it is for us to bend the knee to the king. Enter now while you can. Because one day when the trumpet sounds, the king comes back. And for those in Christ, it is a glorious day. But for the rest, it's like the teenager whose parents show up an hour before they said they would. And the house isn't clean. And they realize, oh no, I'm in trouble. Your kingdom come. Friends, this table that you're being invited to is a table of the king. And you're invited to it if you're a citizen of the kingdom. And you can become a citizen literally right now by simply praying and saying, Lord, I give up my right to rule my life and I accept your son, Jesus Christ, as my king. And I pray that you would let me enter into your kingdom. The beauty is the king says to you at that moment, Shalom. Peace be with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. So this is a table for those who have thoughtfully considered, has his kingdom come into your life? And if it has, then come and eat and dine today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible word to us spoken through your Son. Thy kingdom come. And I pray for some who are here today who are not in your kingdom. I pray that today would be the day that they would turn and pray those simple words. Father, I believe and I trust Jesus Christ for my life. And he is my king. May I come into your kingdom. And I pray that as they have prayed that prayer, that they would hear you say, welcome, shalom, enter in. And then, Father, draw us to this table that we would eat and that we would drink because of a king who gave his life for us. To you be all glory and honor. Amen.